You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers who are here today, both online and also in person. Um, I want to uh, celebrate with all of our dads, but also want to realize the reality of some persons, even amongst us today, who are maybe grieving today as they maybe recently lost their dad or maybe long to be a dad, but yet have not had that opportunity. Um, We see you, we love you, and we're here for you. Um, But nevertheless, we still want to celebrate um, the dads that we have here in our uh, service this morning. So if you are a dad, a father, maybe even uh, of a child or adopted child, maybe it's your own child, would you just mind standing for us? We just want to acknowledge you really quick. Just stand for us really, really quick for us. We just want to say thank you. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you, dads. Thank you, fathers, for all the hard work that you do um, alongside your wife or if you're single as well. Um, we see you, we love you, and we thank God for each and every one of you. My name is James Fields, and I serve as the lead pastor here of the greatest uh, church here in the city of Louisville. I do know I say that every single Sunday, but I do believe that with every ounce of my being. Um, that God has given us a great church and a great community to minister to. If you're just joining us, we've been embarking upon a 12-week sermon series going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Our sermon series has been called Wise, Living Life as a Gift and Not as Something to Gain. Wise, Living Life as a Gift and Not as Something to Gain. Last week, Solomon ended with these words in verse 15 of chapter 3. He says this, that God seeks justice for the persecuted. And today we'll consider the following questions as we spend our next couple of minutes together. The two questions we're going to talk about this morning are this. One, what does it mean for God to seek justice for the oppressed? And then number two, what is justice and how does it relate to our God. Would you pray with me at this time? Father, we do love you and thank you. As always, I ask that you take my little, make much of it, God, that you would honor and glorify yourself through the preaching and hearing of your word. God, may some soul be saved, may some mind be transformed for the advancement of your kingdom. Thank you, God, for allowing even new faces to be among us this morning. I pray that they would not just hear from me, but they would hear from you, that your word would speak, your word would touch and your, your word would revive even our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine your life as a circle. And everything inside the circle is what you personally have influence over. Now imagine another larger circle surrounding your circle. It will look something like that. You see, the larger circle represents the rest of the world. It represents what you have little influence and or control over. 
Notice with me how much space exists outside our own personal circle. You see, in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, Solomon acknowledges the smaller circle. He acknowledges the problems of this world. He acknowledges even his own personal problems within this world, if you will. But here, as we transition into Ecclesiastes 3, he starts to reference the big circle. He starts to reference the the problems of the world, the things that are outside his influence and the things that are outside of his control. And as a result, he moves beyond his own personal struggles and he notices something else. Look with me at verse 16 to notice what Solomon notices when he looks at the big circle. Verse 16 reads this way. I have also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. So notice what he's talking about here. He's talking about law. He's talking about litigation. He's talking about legal matters. He's talking about the legal system, if you will. What do we do if our legal system is not up to par? (laughs) And before we answer that question, we first have to consider this. Why do we even have courts and laws at all? Why do we even have a legal system? Well, we create laws to ensure that people are treated with dignity and respect with fairness, and, with fairness, and to maintain order and to establish justice within our society. Let me say that again. We create laws to ensure that people are treated with dignity and respect and with fairness, and to maintain order and to establish justice within our society. So you may be thinking right now, Pastor Fields, what is justice? I'm glad you asked that question because I love how Chris Marshall defines justice in his book, The Little Book of Biblical Justice. This is actually a book we'll be reading together in an equipping class in the fall. So I'm excited to be able to read that together with you guys coming up in August. Listen to the words from Chris Marshall's uh, book, The Little Book of Biblical Justice. He says this. He says, we all know that justice is important. We all feel obligated towards the demands of justice. We all sense the primordial pool of justice, but we cannot say exactly what justice is or how best to define it or what standards of justice vary. Our standards of justice vary so much through the centuries and across different cultures. Obviously, justice is not a straightforward or singular concept. Like love, justice is an exposition, uh, uh, excuse me, justice is a generic or inclusive term embracing a variety of meanings and applications. Yet, most expositions of justice seem to involve at least four key ingredients. He goes on to show a diagram that looks quite similar to this right here. He says that out of justice should flow four things. Number one, distribution. Distribution being the, the appropriate distribution of social benefits and penalties among contending parties. Number two, out of justice shall flow power. Power is the exercise of legitimate power to implement social benefits, enforce legal obligations, or to impose suitable sanctions. 
Out of justice should also flow equity. Justice requires fairness and also balance. And last but definitely not least, justice should also include rights. Justice has to do with honoring the rights or entitlements of people. So so what does justice entail? I love his little definition of this in his his book. He says these words. He says, justice entails the exercise of legitimate power to ensure that benefits and penalties are distributed fairly and equitably in society, thus meeting the rights and enforcing the obligations of all parties. You know, for me, justice... And I believe that justice for the Christian can be best defined by what Jesus' uh, content within the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer? He says these words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice with me these words from Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And listen, that's what we strive for here at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Maturity, multi-ethnicity, and missionality, these are more than just mere words. They're the foundation by which we seek to exemplify the reality of the gospel to a dying and broken world here in South Louisville and beyond. You know, some might say that I talk about race too much. (laughs) I've gotten that from time to time. Some might say that I don't talk about race. I don't talk about race enough. I've gotten that from time to time. Some might say, I don't know what I'm talking about regarding race and ethnicity. I get that a little bit, but not, often, not too quite often. Regardless of your opinion of me, our core values as a church calls us to the biblical reality of honoring every human being as an image bearer of God. So what happens when the legal system doesn't fulfill this mandate? What happens when systems become corrupt, when halls of justice become houses of wickedness? Look with me at verse 16 again. Notice what Solomon sees here. He says, I also observe under the sun there is wickedness at the place of judgment. Notice with me that evil lurks in our legal system. Even in the place that is established for justice, Solomon acknowledges that there is even wickedness even in that very place. This concept of wickedness at the place of judgment was most clearly seen in the vicious murder of Emmett Till, which galvanized the civil rights movement into fruition in the 1950s. Emmett Till was born in 1914 in Chicago. He grew up in a middle-class black family in a black neighborhood. He was visiting relatives in Money, Mississippi in 1955 when he was accused of whistling at Carolyn Bryant, a white woman who was a cashier at a local grocery store. Four days later, her husband and brother kidnapped Emmett, then brutally beat him, 
shot him and threw his body in the river. The men were tried for murder, but an all-white male jury acquitted him. Shockingly, in a 2007 interview, Carol Bryant admitted that she had lied about Emmett making any advances towards her at that time. So let me ask you, with so much injustice within our world, where can we find hope? Where the places that are supposed to convict people for doing wrong actually acquits them, even when they have the evidence that speaks to the justice that is desired. What do we do with the corrupt system that is meant, that was created to protect us? Solomon offers two ways we can find peace to miss the wickedness and injustice in our worlds. First, he reminds us of God's judgment. Look with me at verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. Notice there is a timing for everything, including God's judgment. You see, some of us don't believe this, but guess what? Judgment day is real. And it's coming for each and every one of us, and no one will get away from God's judgment. It's a good reminder for us that though earthly courts will often fail us, God will never fail us. Now, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Maybe for a season, maybe for a time, they'll, get it, they'll, they'll have an opportunity to get away, or to, it's not really an opportunity to get away. You know what it is? It's an opportunity to repent. Maybe for a season, it may not seem like God is responding well to the calls of his people for justice, but every wrong will be made right by God himself. This is the first sign of peace for us as believers, that God will judge everyone. Let me remind you who this judge is. You see, God is unlike a courtroom judge. He is omniscient, meaning he knows all. God doesn't need anyone to present evidence to him to know what what the right verdict should be. God is not a pro bono lawyer. He is omnipresent. He sees all. He needs no one to deliberate with or to converse with regarding a case. He's already seen it because he was there when it happened. God is unlike a dubious jury. You see, our God is righteous. And that word righteous means that God knows what ought to be done in every situation of life. His judgments and his decrees and his verdicts are always correct, accurate, and without flaw. Someone may be asking, man, that's good to be reminded of God's character, that he is omniscient and omnipresent and that he's righteous. But listen, how can I know I can trust this God? Well, do you remember last week, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, when these words, Solomon spoke these words, he says, everything God does will endure forever. 
and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. Notice God does endure forever. Excuse me, everything God does endures forever because God endures forever. This is the second sign of our hope that not only will our God judge and not only will he judge as our perfect, omniscient, omnipresent, and righteous king, he also will reign as our eternal king. Look with me in verses 19 and 20. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As, as one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath. People no longer have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Hear the clear implication that Solomon wants us to understand. He's saying we're like animals and we're not like God. How do we know that? Because we will eventually return to dust. Notice that only an eternal, righteous God is capable and worthy to judge all people. And having this information and knowing this information, it prompts in my soul to share with you two prayers that I have for our congregation. I pray as your pastor that our responses to the injustices seen and or experienced within this world would be, would be grounded in the eternal existence of God. I pray that as we see and as we experience the wrongness of this world, when wickedness is at the, at the place where justice should reign, I hope and I pray that it would be grounded in the knowledge and the reality that our God has an eternal existence. Secondly, I also pray that our church would continue to fight against the injustices of this world. Yes, we do have a provocative, and yes, we have a right to fight against and not just be okay with the injustices we see. We should continue to fight against the injustices of this world while, re while remembering that God's judgment is near, that it's coming, and that it's final. Yesterday, our church hosted a community event to celebrate Juneteenth. And if you don't know what Juneteenth is, let me explain to you really quickly as I, as I can. So in 19, uh, 19, excuse me, 1862, after the, Civil, the Union won the Civil War, Pre President Lincoln signed the Amaclamation Proclamation to law, thus freeing enslaved people. And you would think that justice had been served, right? You see, a divisive victory came against the forces of evil in our nation. And did you know that many southern states, although they had been given the decree to free their slaves, didn't listen? So Union troops marched through the South, ensuring that every enslaved person was truly indeed free. It's a good reminder for us that while justice had been served, and still hadn't been fully realized in many parts of the South. 
It was not until June 19th, 196, excuse me, 1865, nearly two and a half years later, that the enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, were the last enslaved people who were set free at the order of Union Commander Gordon Granger. Two and a half years later, the decree had been signed into law. But two and a half years later, there were still people who were forced to be something that the law told them they didn't have to be. I love what Martin Luther King says about injustice in our world, about justice in general in our world. He says, evil may shape events that Caesar will occupy and Christ across. But one day that same Christ will split, rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C. so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So, Pastor James, listen, what you're saying is good, but I want justice now. Well, what if I can't wait until eternity to get it? What if I I can't wait till God's judgment come? Then what should I do? How should I respond? Look with me at verse 22. Hear these words from the preacher. He says, I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Notice this word enjoy here. This word enjoy can also mean rejoice, to be happy or to be satisfied. In other words, God calls us to be satisfied in the work that he's placed before us. Riddle me this. How many of us know the evil that's lurking within the bureaucracy of the SBC better than we know the evil that's lurking within our own neighborhood. How many of us are more familiar with the latest trends on social media than the problems, concerns, and troubles that are weighing down our spouse's hearts right now today? Somebody might be thinking, well, Pastor James, why is that important? Well, it's important because God calls us to work justice from our spheres of influence. First and foremost, hence on this side of heaven, we're to pursue justice where he's placed us. What does this mean for you personally? It means that God has ordained us to be one of the primary ways for this neighborhood, Jacob's neighborhood, to see and to experience God's justice through our presence, through our service, and through our witness. It means that those who live in the Beachmont community, you have been sovereignly ordained by God to be one of the primary ways for for them to experience God's justice through your presence, through your service, and through your witness. For those who live by Wyandotte Park, you have been sovereignly ordained to be used by God, to be, by him to be an instrument of his justice so that his justice may be seen through your presence, 
through your service, and through your witness. Listen to me. Your presence matters where God has placed you. The school that you go to, the jobs that you have, the roads that you drive by, it matters. Your neighbors, your neighborhood, where you volunteer, where your kids go to school, it matters. Love David, David's words in Psalm 131. He says these words. He says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. This aspect of David saying that my heart is not proud refers to him thinking of himself more highly than he ought. He says, listen, I don't think of myself and I don't overextend who my, my, the value of who I am compared to others. He also says, my eyes are not haughty. This refers to thinking less of others than he should think of them. You see, King David here humbly acknowledges that he can't have influence over the whole world, but only the place where God has placed him to serve. Notice with me, notice with me that our human limitations, our human limitations are really a blessing from God and not a curse. You remember what Solomon said last week in Ecclesiastes 3.11? He said these words, he has also put eternity in their hearts, their being mankind's heart. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work has done from beginning to end. I love what Tony Evans says about this in the study Bible, about this verse. He says this, he says, Solomon is saying that God has created time in such a way that it cannot bring fulfillment. Rather, it reveals a vacuum in the human heart that can only be filled by the, tran- by the, trans- by the transient, not by the transient, but by him. Humanity is intention. We live in the routine of time, but our hearts are designed to long for something eternal. Have you considered this? Have you ever thought about this? That that your longing for justice, your longing for justice is a desire for something deeper and more meaningful. That your longing for justice points to eternity. It's a longing that can't be totally satisfied here apart from the eternal presence of our God. And watch this, watch this, because here's the temptation. Notice with me the temptation. The temptation is here. The temptation is this. The temptation is we can allow the enormous problems of the world We can allow the big problems of the world to detach you from the simple problems that God has placed right in front of you to solve. And we can use that as an excuse. We we can see the bigness and greatness of this world and think about how how big and how, how, how many big problems there are all around us, but yet forsake the problems that God has placed right in front of you here today. It's a good reminder for us that the church 
doesn't have a mission, but God's mission is always the church. I am not going to be a church that sends hundreds of thousands of dollars to the IMB and neglect neighborhoods that we can walk to from this, from, this, from this building right now. I will not be that type of church. I will not be that type of church that sends our people halfway across the world to speak to and talk to and minister to and be missionaries to other people of other countries when the nation's 30 different languages are spoken in this very neighborhood right here within a five-mile radius from our church, from our building right here. I'm not going to be that type of pastor. I want to be the type of pastor that, help, that calls our church to simple obedience and what God has placed before us. I'm not going to be the church that brags on how many boxes we send to Haiti while sending those boxes are great. But listen, if you're sending 30,000 boxes to Haiti, but you can't spend one time witnesses to somebody that you can from this neighborhood, then something's wrong with that. There's a problem there. And we will not be that church. I pray and I ask that God would allow our hearts to grow for the nations because he's placed the nations around us. Not to give some great report to the KBC and not to give some great report to compare ourselves to the other sojourn churches. I want our mission to flow from a love for God and his love for the people that he's placed around us. Missions works best when God is the objective, not numbers. Now let me call to be reminded of God's judgment. Secondly, we're also called to be reminded to trust in the goodness of God. In other words, we're called by God to remain faithful where he's placed us by working for justice and trusting the rest of the world into the hands of a good and gracious God. But here's a warning for us, church. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Here's a warning for us. The only way that you can do this, the only way that you can focus on the sphere of influence that God has placed before you and allow everything else to be handled by God, the only way you can do this, if you are convinced, I mean absolutely convinced that God is good, that God is in control, and that God is just. So let me ask you, are you convinced? Are you convinced that God is good? Are you convinced that God is just? Are you convinced that God is in control? If not, let me give you some assurance. It comes from a simple passage in Romans, Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord from the New Living Translation. It says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was 
uh, being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what would be in this, in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So how can we know? How can we trust that our God will be good, fair, and just? It's simple. We look to the cross. We look towards the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And God's justice was fulfilled at the cross of Calvary. Our sins have been fully been attained for at the cross of Calvary. And we're covered through uh, through the blood of Jesus by faith in him. And we're declared righteous because of the cross of Calvary. Notice with me that there's no middle ground with God. There's no middle ground with him. Either you're on board or you're not. Notice with me how God will judge us. You see, either we will receive forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ or we'll renounce that blood and we'll have to give account before God ourselves apart from the blood of Christ. So how do we live amidst the chaos? What do we do as a church? Let me give you two ways that I want to call you to move forward. Number one, prioritize matters of justice as a regular rhythm in your life. I want you to prioritize matters of justice as a regular rhythm in your life. You see, not every ounce of your Christian living needs to be planned by this church. Hear me. We're doing a summer of Sabbath right now. And that's important for you to hear. Not every ounce of your Christian living needs to be planned by this church. Amen? You see, our best program is our people. So go as God's people, living as sent ones. Agents of God who are expanding his kingdom through your acts of righteousness, your acts of justice, through your kindness and through your service. What I'm calling you to do and reminding you to do to simply enact ordinary obedience. Pursue justice in ordinary ways. Think even now, who's isolated and lonely in your neighborhood? Who might need a meal? Even around, looking around you right now, who's a a, a way you can serve someone who's sitting around you even right now uh, in, in in this very building? Who might be hungry? Who could you come along and and show love and support in that way? Which one of your neighbors could you be more intentional with this summer? Asking them to engage and to find ways of engagement. Maybe go to your school, your daughter, your son, your daughters, or maybe your nieces and nephews school. Request, Request a meeting with the principal or a city official and simply ask this question. What's a problem you feel like no one is paying attention to? And how can I be a solution to that problem? It's a good reminder for us that God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. Small acts of obedience, small acts of faith 
always lead to greater impact in God's kingdom. But here's our problem. We don't want to start small. But that's the only way that God kingdoms grow, God's kingdom grow. It grows through the small. grows through the mundane. It grows through the ordinary. It grows through the simple faithfulness of living as a sent one in your neighborhood. So number one, prioritize matters of justice as a regular rhythm of your life. Then number two, I want to invite you to do this. I want you to prioritize the opportunities that presented to you in this church, in our church. How many, be honest, don't raise your hand because I don't want to see. I'm sure it's a lot. How many of you guys are tired of seeing the CG video in the beginning of uh, the, the service? I got laughter because I know people are probably, probably saying yes, I'm sure. But, but I hope that you get the point. Join a community group. Join it. Be a part of a community group. That is a simple opportunity, a simple way. And listen, what we do in those community groups, we, we, we design them geographically. You know why we do that? So that you guys can come together in your region, in your own neighborhood, and you can serve that neighborhood together. We don't do that just because we just kind of think it's cute. We read it in the book. No, we're doing it so you can practice simple, ordinary obedience. That you can love each other well in the proximity of where you live. You don't have to go 20 miles across town to find community. You can find it literally in, in your neighborhood as you walk through your neighborhood. That's why we do that. Join a community group. If you are not a part of a community group, please be part of a, a group. Community group leaders, if you are here, just stand up. Just for me, really quick. It's community group leaders, stand up really quick. Any, anyone that's a community group leader? Cool. Let's give them a round of applause because they do a lot of good work. If you don't know, if you're not a part of a community group and you need to be, find one of these people and say, hey, I need to be a part of a group, what can I do? If you can't find those guys, Chris, stand up. You find that guy right there. He will tell you everything you need to know about being in a community group. Listen, take advantage of the opportunities that God has placed before you. Stop telling me and, and, be, and, and, and talking about our church how we don't do anything. We are not doing the basic thing we're asking you to do. Join a group. And God will amaze you in the things that he will place before you. Number two, by God's grace, we're going to have VBS this week. And we're thankful to God to have over, over 40, 40 kids signed up for VBS. It's the first time we're ever doing it. From 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., parents, you get a break, amen. Send your, amen. <laughs> Send your babies to us. We'll teach them about Jesus. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're actually going to be decorating right after service here today. So if you have some extra time, we would love for you. If you can't be a part of VBS, please stay with us afterwards and help us decorate to make it the best week possible for our children to experience the goodness and grace of our God. But if you can't, if you can't volunteer, if you can't stay after church to help out, listen, do this one simple thing. Pray for us. Pray that the words that we speak aren't just words that are spoken, that they are words that transforms our babies' hearts. 
Pray that men, that, 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 that boys and these little boys and girls would become sisters and, and brothers in Christ, that we would be able to see the beauty of baptism through the lives of these children. But guess what? We may go through VBS and not have one single baptism, but that doesn't mean it's a failure. Remember, God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts small. It starts very, very, very small, but then it grows into something beautiful. I'm not looking to get numbers of having 20 or 30 baptisms. What I'm looking for is planting seeds of the gospel so that God might do his work through the hearts and lives of our children, including my own. That's why we're doing what we do. So pray for us. If you can't be with us, pray. Set a timer at work to pray for us um, during the the hours of 10 and 1 p.m. We, we need your prayers because God, God's kingdom is only expanded through the prayers of his people. Lastly, Soldier and Church Carlisle, I hope that we can find hope. I hope that we can find hope between the, the, the tension of justice promised and justice fulfilled. I hope you hear me, that we can trust in the goodness and grace of our God. Because God will judge, because God is good, and because God has called us to enact justice within the spheres of influences that he's placed before us and placed around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. We ask that you would be with us in every way. God, as we prayed earlier, let justice roll like a river and may it roll because your people are pursuing you and pursuing simple acts of obedience in the spheres and the influences that people have placed them around. We need you, God. We ask that you would go before us and that you strengthen our hearts. God, we pray for salvation. God, those who may not know you, those who may be feel far away from you or forgotten or neglected by you, may you remind them that you are near that you love them enough to send your son to die for their sins so that they might receive forgiveness from your judgment. Their sins might be atoned for at the cross of Calvary. God, I pray for any man or woman under the sound of my voice, boy or girl, you will draw them near even now to confess their sins to you and to look to hope with renewed hope in the reality of who Christ is as, as our long-awaited Messiah and risen King. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week we partake of communion. Communion is a simple meal. It speaks of the reality of God being our all-sufficient King. This meal is only reserved for those who are believers and followers of Jesus. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, I ask that you do not partake of this meal. We are not trying to exclude you, but Scripture clearly proclaims that this meal is only reserved for those who are submitted to and following to the Lordship of Christ in their life. It speaks that our sins have been fully atoned, and it speaks to the reality of remembering Jesus at this very moment of the sacrifice that he gave of his life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and blessed it. He gave it to the disciples, said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Let us take and eat that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the same way, he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said to them, Drink from it all of it, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Let us take and drink that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say that I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the time that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen? Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.